This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. This week, King County Council candidate Sarah Perry. She has worked behind the scenes for years in Washington politics, helping to bring about big Democratic wins in her home legislative and congressional districts. And now she is running for office. If you don't know her already, this show is a great opportunity to hear about her vision for King County. It's next. Well, the ironic thing about doing an introductory profile of Sarah Perry is that most people already know her. Sarah has been a fixture in Washington politics for the last several years, working behind the scenes uh, on a number of Democratic victories and winning the 2018 Campaign Heroin Award from the National Women's Political Caucus and the Magnuson Award from the State Democrats. Professionally, she has spent 30 years working in nonprofit and government positions, including as a senior fundraising executive and as an executive director. And now, I'm very excited to say she is running for King County Council in District 3, which happens to be my district. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello. I am great. Thank you for having me today. I've been wanting to be on your show for a long time, and I'm really glad we could make it happen. The pleasure is all mine, my friend. I am so excited to have you and to talk about this. And of course, I'm very excited about your candidacy, as you know. So, you know, I tend to think of you as being one of the hardest working people in Washington politics. I'm not alone in this. So at what point did you decide to get involved and and why did you? You know, it's interesting. It's um, it was actually because of an ex- uh, an experience on a trip to Eastern Europe. Um, we were um, on this trip, and and uh, part of the trip was a visit to Auschwitz-Birkenau. And I had been reading Edie uh, Ellie Weisel's uh, book Night. He's a Holocaust survivor. It was he passed away. And uh, and when we got to uh, Birkenau, I was actually standing in. Uh, spaces that he described in his book. And I was profoundly moved in that experience. And the timing was right when our former president uh, was campaigning for presidency and was spewing this anti-Muslim rhetoric that was horrifying. And I, I knew that that I was pretty certain that he wouldn't win the election, pretty certain. But I knew in that moment, um, because of all of his horrible, the rhetoric and everything he was about, I knew that I needed to do something uh, more than I had been just generally doing. And so something, something affected me in that experience. And I decided when I got back, I needed to be able to look at myself in the mirror if the off chance he was elected, I needed to know I had done something to try to stop that. Uh, so that was the deciding moment for me. You, you know, uh, it's such a powerful image. And um, and I think a lot of people decided to get involved at that moment. A lot of people got into activism. You got thrown into the, the, fifth, the politics of the 5th Legislative District. Talk about that story a little bit, because it's really remarkable, uh, the transformation that you, that you brought about there. Oh, well, took, took a village for sure. Uh, I, you know, when I had that experience, we came home um, very soon after that, I attended the single most disorganized experience of a thousand people uh, 
collectively engaged in something called the Democratic Caucus. Um, it was shocking <laughs> and it was so unorganized and I'd never experienced it before. I mean, I'd done campaigning and as a family, we had campaigned twice uh, for Obama and we had campaigned growing up, but you know, this was different. So I, I got involved and I'm an organizer and I'm sitting there, it's four hours, I'm sitting there, I'm either gonna go home uh, or I need to, to get involved, uh, but I didn't know. I didn't know the people in charge. I didn't know anything. So I decided I'm going to go home, but before I do, I'm at least going to offer to help. Uh, so I got up and, and spoke to who looked like he was in charge and offered to help and he accepted. And so I actually stayed there and helped with the speakers and helped with the vote counting and all of that and organized some stuff. And at the end of it, I found out that person was Martin Cheney, chair of the fifth, uh, fifth legislative district Democrats. Now, I didn't even know there were legislative districts or that there were 49 or that we lived in the fifth. I didn't so, either, my friend. Uh, You're not alone there. Yeah. yeah. All there. And so then shortly after it ended uh, that evening, he invited me to uh, come to a meeting that next week. And that turned out to be the executive board of the fifth legislative district Democrats. So I went. And uh, on the spot, they nominated me as the precinct committee officer chair. Well, I didn't know there were such things as precinct committee officers or that there would be a chair of one. They're known as PCOs. Um, and I said, that's great. Uh, what does a precinct committee officer chair do? And he said, well, we don't know. We've never had one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but I was in, I was committed and be careful, right? That adage, be careful what you ask for, for you will surely get it. Yep. So uh, I just jumped in and the organizer and me quickly divided the map into 24 sections and started recruiting area leads for each section. And then together, the area leads and I, we created this monthly potluck and online engagement and recruited 150 volunteers over the process of uh, time frame of 16 and 2017. And we trained and engaged and invited speakers, Bob Ferguson and Tina Pawlodowski and all kinds of folks to come to make it interesting so people would show up and get trained. And uh, and then, you know, we ended up uh, activating in 2018 and everybody gave three hours once a month, 150 volunteers, three hours once a month. And at the end of it, we were able to elect Bill Ramos and Lisa Callen as our state representatives, effectively flipping the fifth legislative district after 26 years. And the fifth legislative district is such a strong part of the eighth congressional district that we had a huge impact on flipping the eighth congressional uh, district and electing Dr. Kim Schreier as our current U.S. representative. So it was thrilling. Here, here. Wins all the way around. And, and, you know, like I said, a lot of this has been behind the scenes. So now you are deciding to run for office. What was the precipitating moment? What made you decide to actually uh, throw your hat in the ring? Well, you know, over these five years of doing this, I... I just became powerfully aware and impacted by really the power of civic engagement that, that, you know, we can come together and decide who we want to have represent us on all kinds of levels, on local, state, national level, and we can impact that. And that was so powerful for me. And uh, I know I at that, you know, after going through that process, we did, we engaged again in 2019 with school board and city council races, and then the House and the Senate uh, hired me to do um, work in the 17th legislative district in Vancouver, Washington, and in Puyallup, Washington, same kind of civic engagement. Um, all this time, people were asking, when are you going to run? When are you going to run? Will you run specifically for county council in our district? Please, when will you run, right? And so I said, I'm thinking about this. Well, when it came time for this election, 
I, I was looking around and we were doing a lot of talking and I knew that no matter where I was working in my day job, I would still be giving 30 to 40 hours a week easily in civic engagement because I believe that that is what will cure what ails us, for us to be engaged in our communities. That's what will make the difference no matter where we are. Uh, so I started looking, just looking at this uh, King County District 3 and realizing that there are some communities that have been communicated with for a long time and whole swaths of our community communities that have been completely left out of the conversation. And that's, that doesn't work for me. And yeah. so um, I, can, I knew I could do uh, a better job in that. I knew I could engage and build coalitions and get people together thinking and talking about how we can create an incredible community together through all of our communities. And one after another, just looking at where we've fallen behind in one area and another, I knew that I could bring something to that table. And so I started talking with people and uh, I just was strongly encouraged uh, to do this. And um, for me, it's the power power of community and the power on all of our families and all of our communities when we're engaged, uh, that means we can all thrive. And, and I know I can bring that. So with a lot of soul searching and talking to some important people in my life, uh, made the decision to go forward. And it's just been nothing but open doors and support since. Well, we're so grateful that you did. And as you say, there are large swaths of our district uh, that are not served. And you know, I just think maybe kind of situate us on the map for people a little bit, for, for people who may not be familiar with the third. It's large. It's a very large district. A lot of it is rural. Tell us a little bit about maybe kind of the demographics of it. What, else, what should people know about our district? Sure, yeah. So we have nine districts in King County. They're all about 150,000 registered voters, 250,000 residents. Our district, the third district for King County, is the largest of all nine. It spans from East Lake Sammamish to the Snoqualmie Pass and from the southern border of the city of Issaquah all the way up to Snohomish County border. It's huge. It's just huge. Two thirds of the residents live in incorporated cities and one third or 50,000 live in unincorporated King County. And, and, you know, we have a, what I think a thousand five hundred miles of unincorporated road throughout King County, 544 of those miles are in our district. One third of all King County's unincorporated roads are in our district and they're not in great shape. Well, I can, I can attest to that, and I can also say I live in unincorporated King County, and I do not have municipal representation, and so the county council is my only representation besides at, you know, at the legislative and the state level. And, you know, this is something that I think you can speak to and even take credit for. You see our district moving uh, very steadily from red to blue, right? Oh, yeah, I can't take credit for that. Uh, you know, I can tell you that in 2020, 68% uh, of the district voted for Biden. Now, this was in a Trump year. So then we always look, you know, down a couple levels and you can still see in the low to mid 60s, uh, the, the vote came through for Bob Ferguson, Denny Heck, Mike Pellicciati, all of the Democrats received um, in the 60s in their votes. And so that is a significant change over time, over 20 years since Bush was in office, which is when our current incumbent uh, came, came into office.
Well, let's shift over and talk about some of your priorities. And I think it makes sense to start talking about the climate uh, because we're coming off a record-breaking heat wave, uh, really just um, very unnerving, frightening, uh, and and a bad harbinger, I think. And I think a lot of people are, are sort of examining what government can be doing, what government should be doing, you know, everywhere from the executive all the way down to the municipal. Where does county fit in? What should county council be doing right now? County council has a climate plan. A climate action plan led by Dow Constantine. And, um, you know, we have a plan in this decade to go to an all electric fleet of buses, which is great um, because our greenhouse gases, which keeps the heat trapped, which is what we felt in this last pressure system um, intensely, that comes from our greenhouse gases from our. Uh, emissions from our cars and from our buildings, from our heat and so, and air conditioning. And so we have to take steps to get out of fossil fuels, do it safely, do it so that it's not on the backs of our uh, labor brothers and sisters. We do it in a, in a very smooth transition, but uh, we definitely need to do that. And so we have opportunities in all of the buildings that we are, that are coming online for the next 10 years, because we are also one of the fastest growing districts for the next 10 years. We have an opportunity to use alternative energy sources. And in our contracts, I think we're something like, I don't know, it's like 10,000. There's a, there's a huge number of affordable housing units coming online across King County, and we can uh, build those with contracts with, afford- with um, alternative energy sources. We can retrofit our buildings with alternative uh, energy sources, and uh, we can promote electric vehicle use and electric bus fleets. And I'm very, very interested in doing what we can, you know, our light rail is coming on board in 23 in Redmond, but that's 23% of our district. The other 77% doesn't have a way to get to it uh, easily. And we, if we're going to invest the billions into light rail, we need to be thinking about electric shuttles for our community members in the Snoqualmie Valley so that they can sync up to the I-90 Metro, which is really difficult and cumbersome right now. And and also those that want to sync up to light rail. We need to create alternatives, ride shares, um, other models, and look at possibilities so we get as many people out of single-use vehicles as possible, but that we break down the barriers that make it difficult. When we make it hard, people aren't going to go in that direction, and we need all of us to be using it more and more. You know, everything you're saying, I, uh, first of all, I agree with, and, and it sounds like things are moving in the right direction. So then I'm, I'm moved to ask you very bluntly, what are some of the things that you would do differently from what the incumbent is doing right now on climate and transit? Well, I don't see the current incumbent as a transit champion. Um, that just doesn't come to mind when I think of the current incumbent and the decisions. Um, so I, I will be the tra- transit champion. That is something I feel very strongly about. I'll be looking for o- opportunities all over the place for people to have uh, bus stops, metro stops happen closer to where they work. If there are essential workers and we herald them and then we make it so difficult uh, in our scheduling for them to, to have easy access to um, connections to transit and uh, that, that run at a time when they work at five in the morning, for example, and, and to have stops that are close to where they live. That needs to happen. We don't have a voice fighting for that right now. So that's very important. Um, the other thing I think is really important that we look at is uh, the environment, uh, equity in the environment. And I know that, I mean, uh, there were a couple, there was a vote taken that um, where the incumbent was the single no vote 
on promoting a funding model and opportunity that would uh, prioritize equity in, uh, in developing and supporting open spaces and green spaces. Single no vote. I wouldn't vote that way. I would vote the opposite. Um, also, twice the incumbent voted uh, to um, voted against the moratorium. There's a six-month moratorium on new fossil fuel facilities, and the incumbent voted against it twice, six months apart. And I, and and was again in the in the strong minority of the votes. And I would take a different vote. You know, I want to bring housing back into this because you touched on this already. You talked about the 10,000 affordable housing units. And of course, equity uh, is, is, is a factor here as well. This happens to be the number one concern of voters this year, according to a crosscut poll. And you said something striking, uh, which is you believe that we have not seen forward thinking leadership on this. It is a very difficult problem. Housing uh, touches every part of the state. I'm wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit and talk about what forward thinking leadership would look like on housing in King County. And I think it's more like 150,000 units of affordable housing over the next 10 years. Okay. I did a flip on that. Um, with, uh, you know, with light rail coming into Redmond, uh, they are taking the lion's share of housing through 2044 for all seven of our cities. And our cities, again, are Issaquah, Sammamish, Redmond, Woodenville, Duval, Carnation, Falls City, Snoqualmie, North Bend, um, and Skycomish, also Snoqualmie Pass there. Um, so Redmond will be taking the lion's share of that housing, and Redmond will be looking at workforce, affordable, and uh, what they call low income, what I'd like to somehow rename housing for people that aren't paid family wages. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that in Issaquah, we'll have 8,000 units, uh, apartments and condos on our valley floor in the foreseeable future. That's what we'll be, we will be building. I live in Issaquah. I've lived here for 21 years, six years in North Bend. So, you know, that's uh, a lot of our, our struggle here is the housing market is ridiculous. And so seniors who want to downsize and keep that normal movement happening of then somebody else moves into those homes. The seniors can't afford to leave their homes because they can't afford to buy smaller homes. It just simply, there's just financially, it doesn't work. And if they could, there aren't homes, smaller homes to buy. So we need condos for our seniors and we need condos for our first time home buyers and apartments and, uh, and opportunities for people to, um, to, to live and work and play in the same community at all income levels. And I can tell you, we have not had a fighter for that in our district. Other districts have fighters for, home, uh, for housing availability at all levels. In our district, we just simply don't have someone who makes that a priority. And if you don't make housing a priority, then you don't make it possible for our nurses and our teachers and our grocery store uh, clerks to live with us and to play and to learn with us. And it makes it a, a very um, uh, specific kind of community and not a community that that uh, is, is um, open to all. And, well, sure. Um, yeah. And also, I think people were more invested, obviously, in the community in which they totally. live. Sure. You know, um, yeah. speaking of businesses, um, we, we know that, you know, officially as of today, as of, of the recording on July 1st, the state is open now. And so uh, wondering how you envision getting businesses back on their feet. And let's kind of circle back in on the equity question. How do we do it with a focus on equity? Well, one of the things that's been uh, fairly frustrating for me, I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations. I'm out every day throughout the district and um, hundreds of conversations with lots of different um, neighbors and, and business owners. And 
some of the business owners that have had relationships uh, are getting what they need. Um, but there are a whole bunch in specific communities or communities of color specifically that are not getting the resources that they need. Um, you know, we need to make sure that our businesses are um, provided with all of the recovery possible for COVID and that we're auditing where that's happening and where it's not happening and moving out of our comfort zone and making sure that we're doing the work to reach out to our businesses. Because our small businesses, they, you know, they provide half the jobs in our country. They're, they're the second most trusted institution. And when they're thriving, our communities thrive. And so we need to make sure that all of our businesses have that and that we are doing the work to reach out, not sitting back and waiting for them to walk through a, you know, the, the morass of all of this, but, but recognize that some relationships are in place already. And for those that aren't, we have the job to make sure that we're reaching out to those communities ourselves. And that's what I'll be doing. Another thing that's really challenging is, you know, we have to do retraining. We have to do workforce development. We can provide the funding for that. We need to provide funding also in alternatives and solutions for childcare and elder care. Because we've lost so many of our women in this in this pandemic to childcare and elder care and not recognizing it as a societal issue for our future. So those women reduce their earning potential. Those women affect their ability to pay for education for themselves and for their, for their family. There are all kinds of building blocks that are affected by removing a whole group of people from that workforce by not providing childcare and elder care. So we have a great opportunity to, to support uh, more in that regard. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Here, here. I mean, this is, you're, you're, you're talking about uh, some of the, what is considered to be some of the more controversial aspects of uh, the infrastructure plan at the federal level, but uh, you're making the point very, uh, very concisely there. You know, I, I want to talk about, you know, you're talking sort of about the way that, that county government can come to you. And I want to touch on that in a second. But before we do, I want to talk about the number two issue concerning voters in the crosscut poll, uh, which was public safety and policing. So last year, voters decided to make the King County Sheriff an appointed as opposed to an elected position. So I'll just ask you, with an eye on the discussion around police accountability, how do you think now about the responsibility of, of appointing what is the county's top law enforcement official? Yeah, I mean, well, ideally, we're electing our law enforcement officials ideally, right, in that in that regard. But it, we need to change some structures and make sure things are in place and and uh, and make some improvements and changes to get to that place again. But uh, we have an opportunity to do some remarkable work here. I mean, we can be a model. Uh, King County District 3 and the Sheriff's uh, Department can be a model for all of King County and the state. And I am very excited about what we can do, given the 12 laws that recently passed to increase police transparency and accountability, and, um, and also the opportunity for OLEO, which is the Office of Law Enforcement Oversight. You know, this is, this is where we would have citizens involved and, and residents involved who are most closely impacted uh, by policing and by bias, uh, involved in how to uh, to make sure that it is that the, the sheriff um, is adhering to all of the laws, the twelve laws that have been enacted, and to look at what is uh, the most um, the the best work we can do to protect our 
uh, residents as well as to provide the support they need. We don't need a police presence if you know our, our Uncle Joe has some dementias walking down the street. We don't need to we don't need police for that. We need social support for that. We need mental health support services and substance drug and alcohol abuse uh, specialists to support in some things. Where there's danger, where we need protection, we absolutely need protection. And I will be a fierce advocate for that uh, because I strongly believe that we need protection when we need it and where we need it. Um, but it can it can take on many different forms, and to have that community oversight. Uh, it is a remarkable thing where people have the opportunity to see how it how the sheriff is doing and to evaluate and to give input and all of that comes back to the council and to the King County executive and so we really do have an, an opportunity to do some incredible work together in law enforcement and in social service support. So you're, you, the, the word together jumps out at me, and this is really part of your vision, right? One of your goals is to make the, the, the council more visible and interactive, um, you know, for residents. And so I'll just ask you, you know, you, you really do want people to engage with their government more. Um, how, how does that look to you beyond some of the, the ways that you've kind of laid out? How would you like to, to make county government more accessible? And maybe a, a kind of an interesting way of getting into this is to talk really about some of the things, maybe the more hidden things that the county council does that most people don't really know about. I mean, you and I, when we began this discussion, we're like, I don't even know what legislative district I, I live in. A lot of people right. still don't really know what, what King County does. So maybe just start there and, and, and talk about some of the things that the the county does behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, some of it's very, it's not very sexy. You know, it's, it's the sewer, uh, it's the infrastructure, it's, it's stormwater, wastewater, it's, um, it's pet licenses. It's, um, uh, it's also health, uh, you know, distributing COVID uh, vaccines and COVID testing. It's our justice system here, our court system, the King County justice system, and um, making sure that we're providing what we need in the way that we need uh, in the most effective uh, way possible. And so um, also uh, uh, marriage licenses. And um, there's just a whole swath of areas that touch our everyday life, metro, um, you know, that if it's not working properly, uh, we notice it. Right. And if it is working properly, it just hums along, right? So we don't really pay attention to it, but we can make uh, improvements to these things um, so that they're actually touching all of our residents. And right now, the things that King County is doing in our district Maybe it touches all of our residents, maybe it doesn't. It's sort of a hit and a miss because we don't have enough engaged in the process. So I'm excited about a King County District 3 Community Council where we'd have representation from the environmental community, the business community, the education community, our, our Hindu and Muslim and secular Indian and African community, our Latino community, African-American community, the Hmong uh, family uh, flower farmers, um, you know, just a lot of folks we need in the mix to make sure that what we're doing touches all of our communities. And I'm very excited about that aspect and making sure that we are doing what we can to bring the conversation together. And then also, I'm not someone that's going to sit back and say, make an appointment with me. I'm the, I'm the person that's going to be a little annoying and come on out and say, hey, would you meet with me? Can we talk about this? I want to know, are these policies and practices affecting you and your family and your community or not? And if so, great. And if not, why not? What can we do? How can we impact this? Because it really needs to be 
you know, of the people and by the people and for the people. Well, you're, you're very handily demonstrating why you have a list of endorsements that uh, basically fills your entire website. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite impressive. I'll just ask you, um, you have a lot of high-profile uh, endorsements, but I'm wondering, are there any that are kind of personal to you that are particularly meaningful? It's hard to say. I, you know, I'm so um, grateful to have earned the trust and the faith in those who have endorsed me. Um, I, I just, uh, for me, the elected officials are great. Um, it, it really shows a lot of, of um, affirmation and trust and that they've worked with me for you know these five years and they know what we can do and I can do. And, and that faith is incredible. Having, of course, Bob Ferguson in there is just amazing. But for me, what matters is the local leaders, sometimes the unknown leaders um, and the leaders from the communities of color. Um, they, they've not met the incumbent here in this district, which is just crazy to me. How yeah. is that possible? It just doesn't happen. And I don't understand that. That's very important to me. So to earn um, the trust and the um, faith uh, from communities of color and leaders of color, are um, that's, that's important to me. Um, I have to say uh, to have our um, wonderful Ingrid Anderson's endorsement was great. That was amazing. Um, and she's just been incredible about my campaign. Um, and to have the the support of our, you know, some some friends, our, our friend uh, friends from our neighborhood, our, our Fred Butler and Ava, our former mayors and and city council members, but also uh, you know the Indivisibles and um, great friends that I've worked with in the environmental community throughout uh, Redmond and Woodenville and and in the in the communities that are deeply involved in in housing and making sure that people who have housing insecurities are um, are being thought about and you know people in that in those communities are very important to me so um, yeah I, I have to say to um, to the people that do the work and watch the people who do the work in our communities whether they are known leaders or not to have their endorsement um, that's what matters to me well, you know that there are a lot of people who do the work who are watching and listening right now, uh, and many of them may be wondering what they can do to help. Uh, so what does your campaign need? We need you. We need all of you with us. Uh, we need canvassing um, at the doors. We're doing a lot of that, and the reception has been incredible. I'm out every day. Um, so canvassing in your own neighborhoods or in other neighborhoods, if you'd prefer that. Uh, we need phone banks, folks that will we're coming up on Get Out the Vote. So we certainly need to be making sure that our folks are voting, and so making calls from your own from your own uh, comfort of your own living room. But we're also going to have some phone banks um, in a certain location. We're going to be doing sign waving starting the 15th, and that'll be, um, you know, because, of course, ballots are going to arrive July 15th. And so uh, we'll have uh, sign waving with Layuna, our labor partners, who I'm very grateful to have the endorsement from, along with Martin Luther King uh, Labor. Um, they uh, they are going to be out at 630 in the morning, uh, some of these mornings, and also 530 to 730 in the evenings. And we're doing this in Redmond and in Sammamish and in Woodenville and Snoqualmie, North Bend, Issaquah. So it's all over the place. And that's on our website, excuse me, that's on our Facebook at Alex Sarah Perry 
and then our website, of course, is electsaraperry.org, and we'll have different events there as well. We also need house parties. So if you know friends and you want to, uh, you know, lift and have a, an in-person house party and have me come on out and chat, I would love to do that. And we need fundraising. Uh, so I have a lot of endorsement. I have a lot of support, but we really, really need financial support. And the only reason we need financial support is to make sure that we get the digital and mailing message out to all the voters because name recognition is huge uh, and people need to know they need to know there's an option and they need to know why this is a good choice and so to do that we have to reach them all and to do that we need the financial support and all 100 of all of our campaign costs are covered through the november all we need is funding for the mailing and digital and we do not have enough of that so that would be terrific and that again is at electsaraperry.org thank you i was going to ask you to repeat that and you just did you read my mind <laughs> you are a force of nature my friend i really really appreciate you taking the time today and i'll just say uh best of luck out there and uh thanks for thanks for joining us today Stefan, thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it thanks for all your support And that'll do it for this week. Thank you again to Sarah Perry. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and the website is indivisiblepodcast.org. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Cowell, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.